0: Nobody likes to work for a slave driver. Right. You know, and and I think there is a difference between passion and stress. Right. I mean, passion is like working your ass off for something you believe in. Stress is working your ass off for something you don't. Right. So we want to create passion, you know, and and a lot of times taking your foot off the gas is going to help more than uh, bearing down. Sometimes bearing down with the right individuals, what you need to do, right? And I think you need to learn and understand who each one of your team is, you know, so that you can do that. But doing a check-in, a psychological check-in with, with your team is really important too. You know, and then with that daily cadence, you're going to understand, you know, who are the head nodders who are saying, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then each day you're just like, oh, wow, we're still
1: falling behind on this specific metric here. Like, I think every, every operator is shaking their head right now, like, oh, I know I got the name in my head who that is. <laughs> Welcome to the SMB Op Show, an exploration into the mental models and decision processes of operators. I am Joshua Schultz and with me today is my good friend, Cliff Carey. Today, we are gonna deep dive into the operations of an audiology office. Cliff is going to cover his data-driven operations, how he optimizes appointments and uses timing and cohorts of energy management to optimize his practice, and how to build a healthy team that operates well. I'm looking forward to today because I've known Cliff for a number of years, and he is one of the best operators that I know. All right. So welcome back to the SMB Ops Show. Uh, I'm really excited today. I'm with a very close friend of mine, Cliff Carey. I met Cliff, I think, five years ago now possibly even a little longer back from my hometown, Syracuse, New York. Cliff was an entrepreneur long before I was. He's worked in a few different industries. He's tried a number of things. Some have worked out better than others, which is, I think, the true mark of an entrepreneur, just trying stuff out right, and having those failures and those learnings. But the reason I'm really excited today and the kinds of people that I like to talk to are the ones that really go deep and go niche into industries that not many people focus on. And Cliff has a very long, a very interesting, a very deep Uh, understanding of basically the hearing industry of audiology offices of how they interact with sports how they interact with the manufacturers what it looks like on a global scale he's done operations he's done consulting he's done sales he's built a business that sold and now he's building a second business all that to say cliff is an expert i'm really excited and also a really good friend from my hometown like i said syracuse new york cliff thank you for coming man
0: Happy to be here, man. With an intro like that, I'm going to do my best not to let you down. <laughs> uh, um, but I will say, just to, 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 to you know, briefly, you know, talk about having things that you know maybe don't work out for you. I don't necessarily trust anyone who doesn't have a couple failures on their resume. Uh,
1: <laughs> I think it uh, is the the greatest learning tool out there. Failure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've certainly had them, and I, it's, it's those. It's those. In my opinion, it's those learnings that you tear to the next one that help you not to fail on the next one. You're like, oh, last time I did this, it did not turn out well. I'm gonna tweak this or add an extra buffer or not make some assumptions that I made last time. So so right now, why don't you tell me about uh, you don't have to mention anything you're not comfortable with, but this is more about the industry itself. What type of business are you working in? What's your role there? And then we'll dive into kind of how it works. Sure.
0: So we have three locations, specialty medical practice. We focus almost exclusively on adult hearing health care. We do have a division of our services that are offered for pediatrics, but for the most part, it is an adult population skewing into you know the senior population. Hearing health care, we expense hearing aids, we perform wellness screenings, earwax removal, we do almost everything in hearing health care up to perhaps diagnostic and prep for surgical intervention and we're here in central new york um, my title is operations but you know i've got my hands in just about everything here i've consulted in this industry for over a decade i've run Marketing for one of the larger competing firms in the industry, as well as sales, and also soft skills of of HR and training and development. So, you know, I try to bring some of that background and perspective to to whatever I can in our business here to make sure that we can be a category leader in our space in our region and continue to grow.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's why I love ops, right? You truly are touching everything. <laughs> I mean, just operations, I feel like is the jackknife, the Swiss army knife of of business. And the more you learn about the the, the interrelated skills, the better you are at operations, the more you understand how a flick of a number in Excel is going to impact your team and the stress on them and how that you know impact of stress is going to change the brand and how the brand is going to change the quality and the sales enablement. I mean, it just, it all affects each other and That's that's literally why I love operations, because I'm never bored. You can dip into whatever part of it you want, depending on what kind of mood you're in that day. It's perfect for people that are bipolar like myself and all over the place and just ready to go.
0: (laughs) And and one of the neatest things to be sort of in this space at this time is, you know, we've been handed one of the uh, most sophisticated experiments ever in terms of taking taking a scenario and then changing all of your lever- leverageable variables you know, in, the, in the pandemic here. So the way we were doing business prior has been forever changed. There are things that we do today very well that we owe to the constraints that were placed on us because of the pandemic. And we continue to learn on you know a daily basis what we can do to continue to refine our approach.
1: Now, I want to get into that, and I'm assuming things, trends like telehealth, and, you know, remote type of diagnostics is part of that. But first, you know, I talked to you quite a bit. We've downloaded with each other quite a bit over in Strathmore. But for those of you, for the people that aren't as drilled in, and, and I still have a ton of questions because it's an industry that I don't understand. And it's typically, it's honestly... So a, do a, I. A, yeah, good. <laughs> it's honestly a demographic I don't fully understand. So <laughs> let's start with what is yeah. the most common type of appointment you're seeing inside of your facilities. Why are people showing up? And again, you listed earlier a bunch, but what are the majority of these appointments for? Yeah.
0: Well it really falls into two two buckets. You know, one would be a treatment appointment and this would be evaluating whether someone actually has need of our services and delivering those services to them. And then there's service appointments which sounds a lot like treatment, but it's a much quicker appointment. You know, we, we block out our schedule in 15-minute increments. We may have an evaluation or a wellness screening. Uh, that could be a 60-minute or four-block appointment uh, that helps us to understand through case history, uh, diagnostic testing, and discovery exactly what the challenges are for a specific patient and then how we can meet those challenges through through a treatment plan and then we're going to deliver that treatment another subsequent 60 minute if not another 60 and then a 30 minute appointment and then after that it is maintenance and those are going to be 15 minute or 30 minute appointments uh, and i would say on average we're seeing our patients anywhere between two and four times annually there are outliers we've got patients that have you know more needs than others tricky types of hearing loss you know we deal with a, a an aged population many times. So we might have folks who have either cognitive issues or mobility issues or dexterity issues or visual impairments. They just move slower. And those folks, you know, we may see them more often. But we've also got on the other end of the spectrum, we've got more and more people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s accepting treatment than ever before. And and, and these people, if we can get their treatment dialed in early, we may not see someone for 12, 14, 18 months in between specific needs that they have for our professionals.
1: Well, well, I have a lot of questions from what you just said. (laughs) First of all, (laughs) what's making them come in? Is it they notice that their hearing is not as good or is it loved ones saying, hey, you know, you're struggling more and more. I don't think you realize it. So, you know, question one, what is driving them to come in? If it's somebody else, are they coming in with them or are they just kind of showing up saying, I've been told this is wrong. I mean, Paint a picture for us of what what like and again there's a range, I get that, but what's kind of the average patient look like coming
0: in? Absolutely, and you know, one of the things that we're gonna do in this industry, like almost any others, we're going to break our target population down into different cohorts. And you know, as far as intent, consumer intent. It really falls into three buckets, and those three buckets are not distributed equally. I'd say that there are a lot of folks who are education-seeking, want to know. They themselves may have some questions about how well they're doing in certain dynamic listening environments. Maybe they have family history of hearing loss, occupational or lifestyle choices that may you know lead to noise-induced hearing loss, and, and they come in wanting to know more. These would be probably, you know, akin to an early adapter, self-starter, somebody who's, who's, who's really interested and wants to age as well as possible and just live their best life today, 20 years from now. We've got another cohort who's driven in by medical referral and they've been in to see their doctor. They may be complaining about things specifically related to their hearing health care or their anatomy, you know, in or around the ear certain irritations, certain drainage, feeling of, you know, uh, occlusion, which means a clogged feeling in the ear. They may have sudden onset hearing loss, or they may have just been interacting with their doctor and their doctor noticed that they were asking, you know, he or she to repeat themselves several times or they're of an age or, or have a certain list of comorbidities that that tend to travel alongside hearing loss. And the doctor said, yeah, this is something you should think about. You're of the right age. It seems to be something you're, you're, you're having some challenges with. So we're going to send you a referral to your specialist. And then there is the third cohort. And those are the people who are dragged in by their spouse. <laughs> They're They're adult children, someone who cares about them, someone who loves them, kind of the, uh, it's a grudge purchase for, for them. You know, they're they're coming in saying, I don't want to do anything about this. They're more than likely, uh, struggling with some
1: degree of denial of, of the actual condition itself. So do you just look Um, at them and and mouth the words with nose volume to help (laughs) help drill in that there might be a problem?
0: (laughs) well there probably is some room to have some fun but you know we we do whenever possible try to you know make it uh, as evident as possible you know by 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 not creating the perfect conditions to demonstrate the challenges and and the extent of the hearing loss itself but you know i wouldn't say it's necessarily a dark humor that exists in in the industry but you know we Our patients come in with a lot of cynicism at times and, you know, a lot of sarcasm. And, you know, we we hear a lot of the same jokes (laughs) almost every day (laughs) from folks. Yeah. Yeah, At at the end of the day, you know, you've really got to love people, understand how much they're struggling and, you know, know that at the end of the day, if they're having trouble hearing, it's impacting their most their most. Close and sincere relationships. So, how they interact with their spouse, their children, their grandchildren, anyone in their homes on a daily basis, or perhaps anyone that they're working with on a daily basis, which could impact their ability to earn, their productivity, the, the, those sort of things. So, it, it's a it's a serious thing. Even though most people develop all sorts of compensatory behaviors and sort of delude themselves into thinking that they've got it handled.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Early on. I know you and I have talked about this before. I've struggled with hearing my whole life and didn't realize how many, what you call them, basically ways of dealing with it, coping mechanisms, until COVID hit, everybody wore a mask, and I realized how often I read lips, I mean, constantly. And I I had my wife helping me a lot as we were traveling. What did they say? What are they talking about? What are they asking? And like, I mean, in stores, I mean, all of a sudden, it was like I got cut off from the world. And again, I don't, I don't, I'm not deaf, but I always struggle with hearing. And, you know, I always watch captions on, I have all these different things that I do. And I may, I really, I've been reading shows. So I forget if shows are in different languages that I watch because I'm reading it anyway. So when COVID hit, all of a sudden I was like, wow, I'm, I, I was really crutching on lip reading. So I can imagine, you know, as you get older, just developing all of these slowly over time, not realizing it until you're really separated from the world around you and your loved ones and and, in your interactions.
0: Right, well, it's a gradual progression. You know, it it is a chronic condition with a gradual progression, degenerative gradual progression. And humans are highly adaptable. (laughs) I mean, people normalize, I don't know, living in the desert you know, yeah. living in yep. prison you know Syracuse, New York. <laughs> you can live with yeah you can live <laughs> with a hearing loss you know by 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 making a lot of assumptions i mean to be honest the way that we the way that we collect data through our sensory organs especially the ears and the eyes is we take these small snippets of information and then we we string it together much yeah. uh uh, similar to the way, you know, old movies were filmed on uh, on cellulose. It would be these small pictures that would, you know, then over time get moved through quickly and you could, you could see the story that was being told. And, and we do the same exact thing. And when things work well, the gaps are very small and we're processing it very quickly. So we, we, we've got the organ itself, the ear, you know, the, the outer ear, the middle ear and the inner ear that collects the data and sends it to the, and this is a very grosso for simplification, but that data is then analyzed, interpreted, processed in the brain. So you might have a problem hearing because there's something going on in the ear organ itself, right? Or you might have a problem hearing, you're collecting all the information well, but you're processing that information in an incomplete or incorrect manner and that's something that needs to be diagnosed for you but but to get back to you know something you mentioned how the wearing of the masks and the pandemic really brought to light for you some of the challenges you were having and 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 we saw that across the industry in fact we grew in 2020. One was because we were able to innovate and adjust our delivery system and our business model but the other was that, that the need and the perceived need within our, our patient base and potential patient base was greater than ever. And it was really threefold. So you mentioned one, and that is the visual cues of lip reading. It is no doubt that from, you know, and, and, and you know this, I, I've got a seven and a half month old baby, right? He's reading everything with his eyes. When I talk to him, he's staring right at my mouth. You know, we are, we've been reading lips. Since we came out of the womb, right? So, this isn't something that you necessarily just picked up as you started losing some of your, your hearing range or, 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 or feeling disconnected. This is something that you've been doing your entire life. You just rely on it more now than you might have earlier in your life when maybe you were hearing a little bit better, right? So, the visual cue is the lip reading. The mask also muffles uh, the voice. So whereas, you know, in previous, you know, uh, prior to the pandemic, in other situations, someone could speak up louder and you'd do fine, even if you couldn't hear or, or see their lips. So the visual cues are gone. The muffling of the voice is gone. And then the other thing is that if you had a hearing loss, you could just, if you started to, if you started to realize that somebody was onto your hearing loss, you could just avoid them, <laughs> you know, and go hang out with people that didn't know you couldn't hear well, Right. <laughs> But because of the pandemic, people were locked in their homes with their spouses and their families, and they're confronting this challenge, this communication you know, barrier over and over and over again. So it really just, through these three different mechanisms, increased the need and the desire within our, our patient population. And as long as you, one, had the will to keep your doors open, Which we did and and there are many offices that did not. And then two, had the will to start changing and trying things new. And you talked about remote care and telehealth. And we can certainly get a little bit more into that. As long as you were willing to try new things, it really was a bit of, I don't know, I don't want to say there was a lot of there there were a lot of people that you could help. And and and
1: we were. We were able to. Yeah. I mean, apart from the individual details you just shared, I think. One thing that's obvious is that you know this industry. And that's something that that's one of the reasons I love talking to you about this stuff, because lots of people go work in an industry and they just learn what they need to learn to operate make money. But you've you've did you've dove in what uh, the past tense is there, but you dove in, obviously, on the medical side, on the human side, and on the business side. And that just makes you, I think, all the better of an operator. So I'm gonna use that and I'm gonna pivot over to business now because what you just described was the business, and you also described Kind of some of the tailwinds that you've had in the industry over the last few years. but I also know that as these tailwinds were happening, you were already thinking about it's not going to be forever, what's going to stick and what's not going to stick, and what does this business look like in five, ten years, and how do I both take advantage of the now setting up for the later? And so let's let's start to dip into that. A couple of things I want to clear up to about how, just putting us all in this mental space where we can picture your office to the best of our ability people come in you said earlier that they come in for a service appointment i'm sorry for a diagnosis or a kind of a diagnostic type of appointment and then a service appointment later if they need it and again kind of uh thirty thousand foot yeah, level yeah absolutely.
0: oversimplification we we there are buckets inside of those two but it's kind of treatment and then service yeah
1: yeah no i'm sure i, I mean disclaimer all of this is going to be generalized it's it's, it's one hour, so don't go buy an audiology office based off of just this. Uh, <laughs> um, but when they come in, I'm picturing there are like two different types of diagnosis or diagnostic type of approaches. And again, two being generalized. But there's the ones where you can basically do almost like you go to an eye doctor, you do a couple of quick tests. you will like, oh, yeah, you have some eye problems. You can say, oh, yeah, you have some hearing problems. And then I can imagine that there's some specialty rooms and tests that take longer, you know, almost like thinking like, you know, you go to a doctor and he says, Oh, you need an MRI, you need a CAT scan. It's a whole different setup. It's going to take longer. Do you have kind of those quick tests you can do to figure something out? And then those longer, deeper tests where you might need to reschedule and that person is now going to be an appointment too, or how, how, how does that work?
0: Well, without, You know, really getting over my skis too much here because I'm not an audiologist. What I can tell you is is there are initial treatments, there are verification that can be done to make sure that what you're seeing on those preliminary tests is in fact what's happening. Or if on the preliminary tests, you're seeing things that don't quite make sense, you can do some secondary tests to you know triangulate what might be happening. Again, is the hearing loss happening in the ear? At the or in the brain, You go in and I hear fine,
1: but then all of a sudden I don't process. Do you, does your office have the testing equipment or or the means to test for, oh, this is a processing issue or are you sending someone else to somewhere else? Yeah.
0: So the interesting thing for us is that we are, so we're going to, we talk a lot about the minimum effective dose. We don't believe in over-treating or under-treating patients. We want to find the right ratio that allows us to spend the least amount of time to effectively, and that is a very important word. Sometimes you talk about minimal effective dose and people get hung up on the minimal (laughs) and don't hear the word effective, right? We want to get our patients back out into their lives. So we are using a battery of tests and best practices that are the minimum amount to find and to treat close to 95 to 98% of of patients with hearing loss. For those that we can't treat, we refer out. It's also important to understand that there are two different ways to identify a hearing loss. One is an objective test, and it's going to be through diagnostics. It's going to be through things like pure tone tests. So can you hear this tone at this frequency at this volume? You might be able to hear that tone at that frequency when I turn it up really loud, but when I, you know, have it at a certain volume, you can't hear it. And these are lay terms. Again, I'm an audiologist. You're also going to be testing for, you know, how well can you perceive sound through your conductive hearing. So not just the sound that you're capturing through your ear organ, but we also perceive sound by the way that it vibrates our skeletal mass, right? Which is really interesting. So we're looking to see if the readouts of your your hearing based on pure tones and the ones based on your conductive hearing, which is the vibrations, are, are giving us some similar readouts. If those are off the, the mark, we've got to actually refer out to, to an EMT at that point. Another objective test to find out if you hear well, right, is we do word lists. We read the word list to you and we ask the patient to to speak it back to us right and and then we score them so if we give you 15 words and you get 70% of them right that might be a passing grade in high school but you're missing out on 30% a significant portion of of the words that are being read to you and and those are individual words not in the context of a statement or you know with a bunch of competing background noise or or you know, you you hope not too many other stressors (laughs) that might be related to being in a social environment. So so it's a pretty clear indication, objective, right? The other bucket is subjective, right? Do you think you have a hearing loss? All right, so let's talk about that. And, And a lot of times we are looking to the family members of that patient to give us their take. And, you know, one of the things that we do measure when we talk about metrics, we're measuring how often do we have a spouse or a caregiving child or or close companion in the office with that patient for the initial diagnosis and treatment. It's essential. You know, one thing that we say here in in our office is that an individual has a hearing loss and a family has a hearing problem, right? And, and many times that patient will externalize that hearing problem and say, it's not me, my wife mumbles, it's okay as long as I'm by myself, <laughs> um, I just turn up the TV louder I just ask people to yell at me, right? It's like all of these things is making other people work harder and putting strains on that communication. So, you know, we're, we're always trying to bring in this mix of what are the objective facts and, and, you know, if you've got any sales background, you're going to know that, you know, objective facts, statistics, they don't move the needle much, right? It's emotional evidence and, and stories that really do it. So we're trying to always weave those two things together. And,
1: I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure
0: if I was way off. No, no, you, you definitely way off on the question
1: you asked. Nope that that <laughs> helps me picture these appointments a lot more. And then what what is your and you know, like I said, whether are these are short tests or referring out. So so now we have the ones that stay that you can fix, like you said, you're going for 98 percent, two percent. You gotta you gotta send out maybe a little more, maybe a little less. But the ones that stay, you set them up for a service appointment. I'm assuming. But there's some kind of small flat fee for the initial appointment or something with the insurance company. And then depending on the solution, how does that, I would think that that revenue model is a little more complex. Can you, can you talk about that at all?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's something that is very much in flux, both in our office and in the industry in general. Hearing loss, much like well, hearing healthcare, much like dentistry, is in this quasi-medical model also quasi retail model. So some of the treatments that we offer and some of the products that we offer into certain segments of the population that we serve, insurance will cover those in in specific scenarios for everything else. The patient has the responsibility to, to take care of the rest of it, you know, for, for dental, you know, you can imagine that your cleaning's covered by your insurance carrier, but you know, if you want to have your teeth whitened or, uh, you know, you're going to have a co-insurance for any fillings that are going to come up, something like that, right? So, you know, we're, we're always looking to understand what is the most effective treatment plan for this patient? What is their willingness and ability to reasonably afford their responsibility? And then what are the options that we can come up with that will effectively treat the majority of their need without shortchanging them too much? But also, you know, having somewhat of an aspirational push to say, you know, you can do a little bit better if, if you can come up with a little bit more resources for this. So, you know, by and large, the diagnostics are either going to be covered by the insurance or they're going to be offered free of charge. Right. And then the instrumentation is, for the most part, not covered by insurances, except for some specific patient cohorts. But then we'll offer a bunch of different options to help them reach their uh, reach their desired uh, outcomes.
1: Okay. And just to be clear, instrumentation for the many times is a hearing aid.
0: There's also, you've got to imagine, as, as you probably do and your listeners probably do, is that it's not something where we're, we're turning people out the door after meeting them once and never seeing them again. In fact, the average patient, we're going to see them for four visits. And, and I, again, I mentioned the average was two in a year, and that's after we've got those initial treatment visits done. So we're really looking at meeting them for the first time, discussing what their needs are seeing them for probably two more appointments to fit the hearing aid and then initial follow-up to make sure we continue to fine-tune it. And then two more within that year. So that's four visits outside of that initial visit, which would be five. So we're actually bundling into the cost of the devices, the revenue that we need to capture for those five visits. Right. Okay. It's called a bundled model. And, and there's certainly a room and a lot of offices that will unbundle service appointments and we'll have a much different price point on the instrumentation itself but then the patient is responsible to pay for all of the service and where we choose to live in a in a in a bundled model here is that we believe that if you put the responsibility back on the patient to pay for every one of those service appointments many of them are going to opt not to come in for those subsequent service and then satisfaction is that's lower. really where a lot of the magic happens yeah. You've got it. And it's not just satisfaction. I mean, satisfaction is, is certainly important, but 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 a big part of satisfaction is effective treatment. Right. So so it's like from an ethical medical, you know, standpoint, it's like if the patient's not going to do what's in their own best interest, if I make them pay for it, you know, in sort of this, you know, nickel and dime string them along, well, I'm gonna bundle it in there. And the perception for the from for the patient is I paid for it already, and now I'm going to come in and get this right. And it's it's not going to be something where I have to decide you know to, to pull out my credit
1: card again. Yeah, and I'm also thinking just through the psychology of it. Finance days, we used to always say you give all your bad news at once because it helps people process it, and then you spread the good news out over time. So in this case, when you are giving them a fee every time they stop by, they're like, oh, 20 bucks, a hundred bucks, a hundred and fifty, two hundred you know, thousands for the hearing aid back to 200 where you're just like four grand or whatever. And I'm just making these numbers up a four grand. And then every time they just keep stopping in for free, you're not asking for money. And I would think that it has a better psychological effect of kind of like all the bad news was at once. And then the good news is kind of continuing to spread out as you're tweaking and talking and they're more relaxed. They're not anxious for this bill that just keeps coming every time they see you as enough caller ID.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, to use another sort of econ phrase, uh, you know, at that point, you know, the cost is sunk. They've already paid for it, you know, and they might as well just sit in the saddle and ride their treatment out, you know, to our eyes. And I think to many of our patients, because we have you know, great satisfaction numbers uh, and people accepting treatment uh, well above industry standard for both, you know, it is a desirable model for the markets that we serve and the patients that we're uh, targeting right now.
1: These are why I do this podcast, so I can learn concepts like that and think about how I can apply them where I'm at. So, yeah, that bundled model I like. I like the psychology of it, the fact that you can get better. I'm using the word satisfaction, simplistic, but better effectiveness actually helps with a lot of different parts of of the business and the the brand even. So, okay, I think I got a little bit of understanding now, and I mean a little bit of kind of what's happening. The patients are coming and seeing these audiologists they're going through the needs, they're going through diagnosis, they're going through service and potentially fitting them with instrumentation, they're doing follow-up. You're also, like you said earlier, you're hitting side, you're taking maybe balance. There's a lot of other effects that come from the inner ear that are related to, to what you're doing. How do you know if you're running a good practice or a bad practice? I mean, what does are, what are, what are, what an office that is well-run look like specifically in terms of ratios and metrics? And I mean... Don't share anything you're not comfortable with, but, you know, I'm going to go start with gross margin or how fast is it growing? How fast is too fast for the care drops? Thinking about how much vacancy you have. So you talked about these 15-minute appointments. How many of the possible 15-minute slots do you want filled by each position? And how much are they in the office looking? I mean, can you walk me through kind of some of the things you that are important to you? And if it's not important to you, then don't bring it up. But what are the things you're looking at where this is a poorly run or a well-run office?
0: Well, profitability is the you know, the number one thing we're looking at. The most ethical thing we can do is stay in business to continue treating our patients, especially if we bundled in service appointments. We owe it to those patients to run a, a good business with talented staff so that we can continue to live up to the obligations that we made when we sold that bundled service package, right? So the P&L is our scorecard. And, you know, we make no bones about it. It's something that we are very excited. When we do well, it allows us to reinvest into the business, to reinvest into our team, and to deliver ultimately a better and better patient experience with better and better patient outcomes, as well as, you know, great employment experience you know that's that's something that that uh, you know we talk about all the time I, I think when you work in healthcare you'll hear this and, and you know we could probably have a whole nother conversation about about branding marketing and how disingenuous things like mission statements are <laughs> <and> taglines <laughs> but the average healthcare brand is going to tell you that like we're patient focused and the patient comes first we don't say that We are a team-focused organization. We take care of our people and they take care of our patients. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not looking at patient outcomes and patient experience. I've already mentioned that several times before I even brought up team, right? That's a very big part of the equation. But when it comes to who we're going to back up and support, it's going to be our team member first. And, and I like to think about it this way. And sometimes you have to be a little bit ruthless in the way that you perceive things. You have to start to understand things in a black and white before you engage in the nuance of a thing so that you know exactly where you stand. And the way I like to think about it is we can mess up with a number of patients and our business can still thrive. Now, we don't want to mess up with any patients, right? But chances are we're going to mess up with some. I mean, it's it's just the way that things go, whether personality conflicts, you know, mistakes are made, human error, or who knows, any you know, myriad things that could have us either discharge a patient or have them decide not to do business with us anymore. But you can mess up with a lot of patients and your business will still survive. You mess up with a bunch of your employees and you're out of business, It's just not a viable option to say, you know, the customer is always right. And the minute someone, you know, wants to bring up, uh, you know, something that might be unreasonable or untoward and and you immediately say, you know, you're absolutely right, Mr. Or Mrs. Patient, and, you know, you admonish your team Mm -hmm. member, you know, it, 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 it doesn't work. You know, at the same time, we're pushing for excellence at all times. We're learning from every adverse situation we possibly can. We think, you know, critical thinking curiosity, resilience, you know, those are the things that we're looking for in our employees so that they're always striving to deliver a better patient experience and patient outcome. But they need to know from me, and I I say it all the time, that, you know, we're we're, we're a team-first organization and I'm a team-first leader you know and, and and i you know think about authors like ken blanchard you know who wrote uh, the one minute manager and then revised it a couple of years ago and uh, trust works was another great book that he wrote but but he talks about servant leadership and he's not the only person and i'm not even sure he invented you know the you know, the term you know or the idea but it's something that when i had a chance to to work with him in a, a working group that that he discussed it made an impact on me you know it's, uh, i work for everyone on my team you know th- those are my employers really
1: um, can, can you can you and, bring that from from concept to some examples? Like, what is it? What, what do you mean? You serve your team. How do you like? I, I get the concept. I take care of my team. My my team takes care of the customers. We all win. But uh, what is What does that look like? What do you do on a daily basis? What 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 trade offs are you making that you're choosing them over the customer at times?
0: Oh, I mean, look, it'd be great to sit in my office and just you know look through my PL and you know click through spreadsheets and you know count the cash you know but the trade off i make is that i'm out asking them how things are going asking them where they feel successful asking them where they feel like they're having some challenges finding out where those barriers or disconnects are and you know exhausting the, every resource that i have at my disposal to remove barriers you know for them that, that, that's my goal in fact One of the metrics that I measure as a professional, and this is outside of the business, but as a professional, as a leader, one of the metrics that I measure is, did I have at least one uncomfortable conversation today, right? And by putting myself in that position to get uncomfortable, to spend my time to make their lives or jobs easier, that's how I'm serving them. And then of course, when they're feeling more confident, when they're feeling more successful, if I found creative ways to incentivize them, if I found not so creative ways, you know, monetarily just to incentivize them, and and they're performing better, you know, then the business does better. So it it really is just looking for the gaps and understanding, can I give my patient care coordinators better verbiage, so that when they're explaining and often. Misunderstood, frequently misrepresented, and most importantly, unwanted, you know, delivery of services and treatments to a patient who has a lot of questions and is just waiting for that person to slip up and give them any reason to say no, not today, right? I'm not going to make this appointment. You know, I don't believe you, I don't trust you. If I can give them better verbiage, if I can help them to simplify things for our patients if i can simplify things for them then i've done a great job you know it's it's a lot of soft skills work it's a lot of trying to understand the psychological reasons that that people make high dollar purchases trying to understand the reasons that people won't make that high dollar purchase and and really narrow that down understanding the psychology of hearing loss itself you know what happens to the human experience when you start to feel more disconnected more vulnerable less productive or capable? you know, What does that do to someone and and how does that manifest in a three-minute phone call or in an in-office appointment that could go right or could go wrong? And how do I get out in front of that and give my people the right skills and tools so that they can steer those conversations in a way that helps that patient to their better outcomes, right? I mean, that's one of the best things about this industry is that when we win, the patient wins too. Everybody wins. You know, our goals are all in alignment. You know, it's not this, you know, and, and sometimes, and maybe it's the world of finance and maybe it's you know some other places. You know, my goal as the the, the technician is to take the money from your pocket and put it <laughs>
1: the in the market, zero-sum right? game,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Listen, when 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 we effectively navigate a series of diagnostic tests, evaluations, and discussions that get that patient to accept treatment, everybody wins. Most importantly, the patient. They're the ones that are going to win the most. So, so it's, a, you know, in a lot of ways that should make it easy, but it ain't. <laughs> it just, it's not.
1: You stated in the beginning, and I want to restate it, you have three locations. So you're going to each of these locations on site, how often? Weekly weekly, engaging with the team, talking to the team, watching, do you, want, do you watch actual appointments? Are you allowed in the room? Not being an audiologist or, or, okay.
0: I try to observe as much as I can. Quite a bit of it can, you know, either be observed while I'm in the room or, or overheard. You'd imagine that many people walking in with any challenge hearing our professionals, administrators might have to speak up. Yep, <laughs> so so there's there's a lot of opportunities, yeah.
1: And so you're just mentally taking notes. I want to talk to them about that. I want to get training for this person. Oh, we need to have an uncomfortable conversation. Oh, I need to congratulate that person. That was really well done. I want to whatever. Oh, you know, they're probably underpaid. And I see that they fixed whatever I'm, whatever the reason I didn't give them a raise, they fixed it. I want to give that raise now. Is that kind of your mindset? And you're just just iterating over and over and over at these locations, trying to just up your team, knowing that upping the team is going to up the patient outcomes, which is going to up the company, the brand, and the revenue.
0: Yeah, you know, and you you have to at least in in my mind, you have to be thinking about not just making withdrawals from sort of the trust bucket or the trust bank. You have to be making a lot of deposits. So I'm more yeah. often than not trying to catch them doing something right, and I'm air quoting here, you know, instead of catching the employee doing something wrong. And I think that's a big failure of, of leadership or management for for many professionals early in their their leadership careers. Of course, you want to measure. Of course, you want to redirect when, when you need to. You want to offer you know insights and, and, and developmental solutions for, for your folks. But you certainly want to congratulate them for having a successful conversation or a hard conversation. I mean, just yesterday, we had a, a, a patient who came in and they're, they're destitute because of a number of healthcare conditions or concerns hitting at the same time. And you know they have an outstanding balance uh, with us, and they came in and they're they're you know crying at the front desk, and you can imagine how hard it is for a patient to be in that situation. It's also hard for our patient care coordinator to be standing in front of that patient and saying what what do I say? What can I do? You know to to alleviate some of this pain and suffering. How do I even just? absorb this energy and, and not have it kind of become a distraction or, or derail me for, you know, either the rest of my day or, you know, at least the next hour, whatever it might be. And, you know, when you can see your team making, you know, human connections, navigating these things successfully, you know, those are the moments that I want to jump right out and say, man, that, that was fantastic. Or, or you know what, that that was a hard conversation you know, and I, I really appreciate you hanging in there. We don't see it a lot, but we see it from time to time. And, you know, how are you feeling? How are you doing with it? Here are some strategies to to try to rebound from it quickly. You know, you, you you don't ever want to stop empathizing with your patient. You don't want to ever start to dehumanize them. I think, you know, that's how, how you really Start to lose touch with good patient outcomes. There's this idea in business that you never want to become more in love with your solution than you are with your customer. <laughs> you know, and you know, for us, you know, we 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 love our customers. You know, and we also run a, a very very good business. And I think those things go hand in hand.
1: Yeah, you know what I'm picking up, and maybe it's because you're emphasizing it. Maybe it's because it's one of your strengths, or maybe it's just actually true. That's kind of what I want to ask you. My business. People is a huge part, but also managing like there's an engineering component. That's a huge part in making castings. And there's a supply chain issue, talking to vendors, managing equipment. Like there's like three real big things happening all the time. It sounds like your business, the, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but just in general, the audiologists are coming and trained. They went to school, like that was taken care of beforehand. You're not like training audiologists. And the solutions are kind of set. There are a number of solutions that go with certain diagnosis and there's kind of protocols that are standard and maybe you've tweaked them. It sounds like the majority of your time is best spent and should be spent on people, both patients taking care of being there besides them. This is a difficult time for them being empathetic. And to like you said, the caregivers, because they're going to be in a lot of uncomfortable situations. They have the technical knowledge, but maybe not the bedside manner. Maybe there's some sales techniques where... You don't want to sell so hard because there's something going on. It's like, hey, now it's not the right time. And it sounds like there's a lot of people management, culture management, EQ going on in this business. Is that a generalized but correct statement?
0: I mean, with the broad strokes, absolutely. You know, what I can tell you is we've got fantastic technology partners. Our supply chains have been disrupted just like many other industries, but we're not buying and processing raw materials right we are buying wholesale product that's ready for distribution and then effectively applying it for the best outcomes for the patient so there there's you know not a significant amount of interaction with the technology that needs to happen in between when we place the order and, and then place it onto our patient's ears. I mean, we're we're managing the software so that the device is performing in the way that we want it to, specific to that patient's hearing loss, the type of loss, the depth of loss, the lifestyle, their specific needs, you know, so so all of that's part of the management, but there's a, there's a people-to-people aspect of that as well. You know, there's not a lot of time spent, you know, in some back room, you know, clicking battery doors together or something you know i mean it's these things are 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 coming in more sophisticated than ever ready more ready to go than ever before but there is vendor management without a doubt there's certainly systems management i mean that's a huge part of what we do but of course we're asking people systems
1: meaning what
0: so most importantly our
1: schedule okay i wanted to get into this with you and you just brought me there so Why don't you dive in a little bit on on systems and how you're running this place?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one last point that I'll make, just because, you know, we painted with a little bit of a broad brush that, you know, folks are coming in trained We've got great diagnosticians in our in our industry. And many of the 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 providers are clinical doctorates, or at the very least, they've been licensed within the state in which they provide care in order to provide that care. And they've gone through a two-year apprenticeship In, in most cases. Some states have, you know, a less strict or stringent certification process or license licensure process. So the diagnostics are there. But nobody's coming out of a four-year AUD, well, actually eight-year program, including four years of, of audiology school, with the bedside manners, with the soft skills, with the ability to lead a patient to treatment. So, so that, 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 that that's a big piece. So, so yes, a ton of education, a ton of soft skills on a, on a daily basis, weekly basis. We have a scheduled meetings and development, and we probably circle back around to that. But once you take the people out of it, the schedule is the number one thing that we're looking at to make sure that our business is being run well. One, we want to make sure that our providers, our entire team is in a position to deliver the right times of services as seamlessly, effectively, efficiently, and frequently as we can without losing momentum. So we plan our day to see certain patient types for large blocks of time. So it could be three or four patients in a row are coming in for a first time evaluation for whether or not they have hearing loss. This is one particular type of conversation. This is one particular mindset. Of course, we talked about the different cohorts of why they might walk through the door, but they're coming in to learn more about what's going on. And we're going to walk them through a battery of tests. We're going to use specific equipment. We're going to use our soundproof booth. We're going to use some different things we won't use later on in the day when we've got a different type of appointment. Not to mention, I don't necessarily want someone who's a current hearing aid wearer who's having a bad time with their hearing aids. Something's malfunctioning. Something's going on. Their chargeability is, is, is somehow not working, and they wake up in the morning, the thing's not charged, and they, they can't hear, and they walk through the door, and, and they're upset, right? Well, I don't necessarily want you know, a patient having those type of concerns, which are very real concerns. We're happy to address those concerns, but I don't necessarily want them in my waiting room <laughs> at the same time as somebody... You know, who has no idea what's about to happen, whether they have a hearing loss, if they have a hearing loss, do they need a hearing aid? If they need a hearing aid, can I afford them? Are hearing aids even right for me? And then listening to this, you know, this, this user concern, which is, you know, somewhat common, but it's not something I want them to be confronted with at this point in their journey. (laughs) So, you know, the separation of two cohorts, you know, is, is really important, but there are also certain types of appointments, which are heavier lifting for either from a cognitive standpoint, an energy standpoint, an emotional standpoint that I want to make sure that I'm, I'm getting the best out of my, out of my, my team. So for example, an opportunity to meet a stranger and to help them to take the next step and accept treatment in their hearing loss journey, that's gonna impact our bottom line more than the fifth or sixth service appointment for someone who's in a bundled service package, right? Where we're not collecting any money from them today. So I want that first type of revenue-generating appointment more times than not to be in the morning when my providers are fresh, they've had their coffee, they're, you know, had, you know, a good night's sleep. They've had the less interactions with stressful situations, you know, whether it could be husband and wife arguing over who has the, you know, who's mumbling and who has hearing loss, or, you know, whatever it might be someone just outright saying, you know, these are too expensive. And how can you you know get away with charging people these prices right it, it, it's like these types of conversations and situations can accumulate throughout the day till suddenly i don't have an effective provider or as effective a provider as i did the first thing in the morning right so i want those revenue generating appointments i want them bucketed and i want them front loaded okay Then when we come back from lunch, that's when we're going to work on you know the service appointments and some of the other treatment appointments and some of the other types of appointments. You know, you know, for example, if we're going to have a diagnostic evaluation with a child, a pediatric appointment, those can be uh, pretty harrowing for an audiologist to execute. One thing is the child could be all over the place. You've got (laughs) small children, you know, trying to 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 get what you need from that child in order to effectively diagnose you know, a healthcare condition can be really tough, not to mention, and and I think anyone who's listening to us, you know, who are either parents or, you know, possibly teachers might know that sometimes the parents of those kids are going to be driving more of the stress uh, than, than the actual kiddos are. So you know, we put a lot of our pediatric evaluations, you know, late in the afternoon. And it's and it's not necessarily because we don't want our providers to be at their best. We do. But we also don't want what can sometimes be a really tough appointment. And sometimes they go long. We don't want it to necessarily have a negative impact on our schedule for the rest of the day.
1: Gotcha. That's, so that's really interesting. You're using your schedule strategically. And so when you say the system, the, the, one of the systems is the schedule... You're not talking about vacancy versus fill. You're talking about what appointments are where.
0: Well, so it starts with where do you put the appointment, right? And then once you have an idea of where you're putting the appointment, you're talking about how many appointments we have open, how many appointments we have filled. So
1: I was going to say, how do you manage that? Like, do you have rules of thumb? You have a scheduler and you have all the different rules or do you have like color code on a calendar? Like, what does it look like to make that happen when you're not telling somebody what to do?
0: Well, we have to train to it and we have to monitor it. And we have to audit it frequently because, you know, uh, let's say a patient, and, and a lot of times patients believe that they can dictate their own treatment and, you know, for all of their skills and, and the, their Google PhD, they do not have the clinical expertise to treat a hearing loss, but they may call up and say, I want to be seen in the morning. Well, it's a service appointment, I just got done giving you all the reasons why we don't do service appointments in the morning. You're going to be in the afternoon, right? And they may press our administrators hard enough to where that administrator might just placate the patient and put that patient in the morning. So we need to audit and make sure that the the right type of appointments are in the right slots. Then we have to understand that we have today, tomorrow, and the day after. That is all that we can really count on. We're closely monitoring things like no-show rates and the rate at which we reschedule appointments. Because just like the airline industry, You do not want a plane to take off, you know, without a receipt filled. You know, we do not want to execute a clinical day without having every one of those clinical 15-minute blocks accounted for. So we are constantly, we have a very sophisticated confirmation process, appointment confirmation process. We are utilizing new technologies, new, certainly in our field, but not so new in some other fields, text messaging, emails, phone calls to make sure that that patient is coming in. Not to mention, I already told you that we want to have a caregiving spouse or an adult child or a companion to come with that patient so that we can can better triangulate the impact of the hearing loss, right? That's the number one reason. A close second is that if we have not just the patient, but their spouse committed to that appointment, chances are they're going to show up,
1: (laughs) right? So it cuts down on our no-show rate. Do you have like an email that goes out a week beforehand and say, hey here's some things to remember about your upcoming appointment. One, please come with a spouse if possible. Two, if you're not going to show 24 hours, let us know. I mean, do you have kind of a, a thing that goes out with all that or?
0: Yeah. Well, so we've got a couple of different things. One, we're sending we're we're texting and emailing video introductions for our providers. And then also reminders, you know, of the appointment. Remember why it's so important that you're bringing your spouse with you. We've got text messages that are going out. And then we've got phone calls that go out and then, and, and, you know, Mr. Smith I see here that Felicia's coming with you. Is still going to be available? Is this time still work for you, for both of you, or would you like to reschedule, right? That's kind of, the conversation we're having 24 hours out to make sure that the, the, the patient is showing up. And we've only got three days because what we see statistically is day four, there's about a 40% drop-off in the rate at which people show up. Day seven, it's about an 80% drop-off. And day 10, you know, <laughs> Useless. Good luck. The weather. (laughs) So, yeah. So, but we we do have people scheduled on, you know, six month returns, annual returns. So when we start looking into the three, four, seven day outlook, we've got appointments that are out there and and, and we can pull appointments forward. So we're, I mean, I would tell you that aggressive schedule management is something we're focused on every day. So if we get a cancellation at 8 a.m. for a 3 p.m. appointment, we're trying to fill that. If we have an opening tomorrow and we have for a new evaluation, but we have someone booked the day after tomorrow, we're calling that patient and inviting them to come in. We keep a a cancellation list of people for whom we scheduled an appointment and say, would you like to be on our callback list in case something opens up? And if something opens up, they're getting a phone call. Something opened up. We actually have an appointment for you 90 minutes from now. Can you make it? It's worth a phone call if they can show up because not only... Do we get to treat that patient? But then we free up and open up that schedule a couple of days out to where we can now schedule a patient that either needs service to get better outcomes, or they need actual treatment where we can drive revenue. So it's it's aggressive. So we're looking at things like opportunity creation every single day, and we have a required result. I'm guessing uh, so we
1: require result for the month. Okay, I'm guessing. So you've got fixed costs, including the salary of the audiologist. And so you're paying that no matter what every day. So basically, you want to get as much revenue in the door in those time slots as possible. You made a comment: aggressive scheduling. I think is what you called it. Is that correct? Schedule management. Aggressive Aggressive schedule schedule management. management. I like that. And I'm thinking about. I've seen it with home service industries. As you were talking, I was thinking about barbershops, spas, personal kind of places that don't do that. You know, if there's a no show, the barber or the hairstylist kind of goes in the back and sits down. And I'm thinking about how much aggressive schedule management would probably help. in? because I I forget where I, w- I was traveling and I got a haircut. I had scheduled it knowing I was traveling and they called me and said, Hey, it's actually, we can move you up if you want to come in early. And I'm sure that's what they were doing. They were pulling stuff forward. And I did. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm traveling and that would be great. And they probably maximized the revenue for that day and then pull other ones forward into my slot. So just want to make that comment. They, the, yeah, I mean, I, This is the kind of interesting things that I learn when I'm talking to great operators.
0: Yeah. Well, well, and it's, it's necessary, you know, if you want to drive the types of resources you need to be competitive, I mean, there's, there's, there's cost to acquire a new patient, right? So you need resources in order to pay for that. There's cost to differentiate yourself, right? So you're going to need to drive resources so you can meet those costs. You haven't even paid your staff yet. That's the number one cost in your business is your, your personnel and your payroll Uh, not to mention, you know, your, your, your overhead and your utilities. So it, it is important. So you, you, you talked a little bit and it might be a good time to get into it, but but before we do. So we're looking at opportunities created every single day. So every single day, everyone on our team understands that we have a goal for our practice in general, but for each one of our locations of creating new revenue driving opportunities. And those can be made a number of different ways. If we have active advertising or marketing, we might get inbound phone calls that are, are driven by those activities. And you schedule an appointment, Appointment gets scheduled, there's one, right? You know, now you only need one lesson you did before. You might get a referral in from our local physicians, networking that we're doing. Fantastic. Take it off the list. Well, what happens if you don't happen to have active marketing and, you know, the local physicians are on vacation? We have to have an active patient communication strategy that is generating revenue, generating appointments every single day. So to give you an example, we generate about half of our revenue from current patients who are seeking additional treatment or upgrading their technology, a new set of hearing aids, and most of those are incentivized. We incentivize the behaviors, which could be combing through our database, who's about to come out of warranty, right? They're combing through the database, who haven't we seen in X amount of years, right? They're combing through the database, who, when they were in here last, said, you know what, doc, I know I should do something about it, but you know, now's not the right time. Well, then it might not have been the right time, but maybe tomorrow is the right time. So let's call that person and invite them in. So we're generating appointments. So if we do get a cancellation or a no-show that we can't fill, well, that time slot now becomes a block of time in which we are generating opportunities. And we incentivize the behaviors that keep the schedule filled because you made the point yourself, I'm paying these professionals to be here. And every moment they're sitting there without a patient in front of them, we're losing money.
1: I think what you're saying is really important. And I want to make sure everybody hears this and thinks about it as it pertains to their business. Combing through your database of sales, of people, of customers, of whatever it is that you're putting in your database is an enormous opportunity for lost sales. And it's usually very easy. Once you have the data, you can create an automated report, or you can create a macro that you know puts it in Excel and does all your filtering and sorting. And There's all different ways to to mostly automate it, but it usually comes down to six or seven types of filters and sorts. And you just described yours. At Chess Group, we had one where basically we would look at a part. And so Chess Group was basically a distributor of metal parts. And we would look at parts that were sold every month, two months, three months. And if it had been double the average sale, in other words, we're expecting, we should have expected an order by now, we'd reach out, hey, you know, you usually order this part, what's going on? All the time, we'd get, oh, actually, you know what? The engineers changed that part. It's in quoting. Let me send you over the new. We would have lost that part. And then we get it. We get the new part. And it's like, great, thank you. Or, hey, you know what? You're right. I forgot to order that. Can you here? I'm going to put an order in tomorrow. I'm going to get some extra, too. I mean, there was always different reasons and scenarios, but that was stuff that could have been lost or a new buyer comes in, doesn't know that we're the supplier and they're about to go somewhere else to whatever name they know. And it's like, Oh no, no, we've been supplying that for 10 years. we we'll, you know, we'll get that. We have it on the shelf. It's just, there was always something. And just that call was, that was 20% of revenue every year right there. And just combing through the database, looking for things that didn't make sense that looked like it had been a while that like, like you said, customers that haven't been in a while or warranties going. And it sounded like four to six different scenarios, but. I just want to make like emphasize
0: that and it's so interesting too. Like I said, we're about 50, 50 split. And you know, I'd actually, I'd actually like to be driving more revenue from, from meeting strangers. I'd like to be activating folks even more because new business is the, the lifeblood and the longevity of any business. Right. But you cannot, you cannot take for granted the people you're currently doing business with, or you helped in the past. So one of the things we take a look at, people will buy hearing aids in a very similar way to, to the way people buy houses, right? It's like your first home, your quote-unquote starter home, might be, you know, just finding something that's within your budget. You don't necessarily know what you want. You don't necessarily know what you need. Your family's not that big. You don't necessarily know what sort of neighborhood you want to be in. You're not thinking about school districts for your kids. So you buy something that where price is the number one indicator. And and that sure. happens I can't even give you some statistics, but anecdotally, you know, we're seeing some probably around 40, 45% of first-time purchasers, they say, cost is the number one thing that's going to dictate the selection of the devices or, or the treatment options that I'm going to accept from you. All right. Well, now they get into those devices for a while and they start to use them. They get out into, you know, some common and sometimes diverse or challenging listening environments. and They go, man, you know, I wish... You know, I wish that that there was a capability here, you know, that that I don't have right now or I wish that there was a, a feature set that I gave up because I selected the cost effective option, right? So you've got all these current wearers that bought that that moved forward with the treatment specifically or or predominantly based on, you know, their the The cost, right? But now they're starting to think about value. What's the value of performance of my hearing system, my hearing aids in every environment I'm in? Now that next conversation is going to be more about, like, okay, let's take you from, you know, tier three in terms of treatment and price point. Let's take a look at what tier one can do for you, right? So another thing we're trying to do is to not just get our, you know, not look for more business from our current patients, but how can we excite them even more? and bring even more value and increase their treatment and their outcomes and their experience through instrumentation and fitting that well. So that's one thing to think about. The other thing is that every person we meet, I'm thinking about three potential transactions, right? That individual, their spouse, right? Because if they're 75 and their spouse is 75, well, what are the chances their spouse also has some hearing problems, right? So we're going to test them. We're going to give them a wellness screening on the way in. And if they can be treated, we want to treat them. And then we're going to get a referral out of that. You know, we're going to ask them, who else can we help? We can see that we've changed your life. I mean, I don't want to overstate this and I don't want it to sound like hyperbole, but the things that we deliver are life changing. You know, people will put on hearing aids, and they will suddenly hear the change jingling in their pocket for the first time in 15 years, or they'll hear the birds outside, or they'll hear their their clothes swishing together when they walk, and they're just like, oh my word, I've been missing all of this. Not only have I been missing all of this, but I've been giving my wife a hard time when she's telling me that I could be doing better if I would accept treatment and go do something about my hearing, and I've been blaming it on her. And oh my gosh, it was me the whole time, right? So we have people that, that, that break down and they get very, very emotional. And those are the moments where we say, look at what we've been able to do for you. This is fantastic. This is why we do what we do. Is there anyone else in your life that could possibly benefit in a similar way that you'd like to introduce us to? So we meet that stranger, that's three transactions right there. And what that does is that takes your acquisition cost and it cuts it into thirds, Right. So it's it's important to understand how you can maximize, you know, the, the cost side of your PL through these soft skills and through incentivizing certain behaviors in your business. And
1: I, I wrote that. I, I don't mean to diminish what you just said. I love that idea. I'm all about the efficiency. And I love that you are thinking about how to take one transaction and turn it into three and lowering the cost to upside ratio. I'm assuming you're measuring cost of acquisition of a customer. Do you measure that or try to get close? Yeah. What else are you measuring?
0: Yeah. I mean, I measure, I measure the aggregate and then I measure it by referral source. So I know every single type of activation strategy that we have. I know how much money we're deploying there. I know how many people we are helping. And even more sophisticated this year, I started to take a look at based on the referral source, how likely is that patient to accept a premium level technology that's going to reach all of their needs Or go for that low-budget price point? And what I was trying to test was, you know, does direct mail marketing bring in a more price-conscious patient and consumer, whereas a physician's referral is going to drive in, which is, you know, in certain ways cheaper— for me to acquire a patient that way, but we still have to do really good business. And that certainly is an expensive thing to do. Helping every patient every single day the best that we possibly can, that's an expensive thing. But on our PL for a given month, the acquisition cost is much lower, but is that person going to say, you know what, my doctor told me to come and see you. So I believe you, I trust you because I trust him and you're an extension of his service to me. And I believe you, and not only do I believe you, I'm going to reach up to this, you know, higher price point, probably also more likely to have an insurance policy that may cover some of the out-of-pocket costs and and, and they'll reach into a higher uh, pricing tier. I don't know. And I'm still looking to discover that, but yeah, so we measure acquisition cost by on our um, on our overall activation strategies and marketing. That's more of a quarterly thing that we're looking at. Uh, patient acquisition cost you know, on a weekly basis. You know, we're looking at how many people did we help? What was the average selling price per patient? What was our help rate? How many people came through the door who could benefit from our help? And how many people accepted treatment, and how many people said no, not today. And then we're having a discussion about why. Was there something we could have done differently? Is there soft skills development that we could deploy? Or was it that this person just simply wasn't ready, right? And we have to understand that there is a striation of good outcomes, right? And if your pinnacle good outcome is that person said, yes, the first time we met them, You know, we were able to be as efficient with the time and they reached for the the highest price point that most adequately fit their needs, right? So we don't want to over-treat people. I've said that already. In fact, it was one of the first things I said. We don't want to oversell them either. But if that's the pinnacle, right? Well, then you start thinking about like, well, what are other good scenarios or outcomes for those appointments? And it doesn't take long till you get to a point where the patient did not move forward, but we were able to position the data about their condition in a way that they understood, they've decided not to move forward, but they walked out of here with a better understanding of how this condition's chronic healthcare condition, individualized, specific to them, is impacting them on a day-to-day basis. That is now a more informed patient and a more informed consumer that is more likely to seek out treatment early. And the reason it's it's important for them to act early is that there are long-term impacts on cognitive decline when someone has a hearing loss and is not treated. So, you know, us delivering what can sometimes seem like bad news, but in a way that can be internalized and accepted by the, by the patient, usually means that we're cutting the decision making timeline down considerably. And even if it's not with us, we think it's great that they move forward somewhere. I think they're not going to get treated anywhere better than with us, but... You know, it's got to be with someone else. We'd rather have them get treatment than not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's, yeah, weekly and monthly. And it sounds like a lot of them are around patient satisfaction and care productivity. I mean, maybe it's the wrong word, like, like care per employee, appointments per audiologist, that, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, revenue per clinical hour. You, you have to know that number. You have to know that number. Yeah, I mean that that is a huge key for us and you know when we fall below it, you know we need to address it.
1: So I was We're looking gonna, at, oh, I was gonna, I was going to ask you what your key number was. For us it's it's what is the one thing that really drives the sales and for us it's mold mold count. For you it sounds like clinical hour is
0: I think it's important to know that, but to be honest, the answer to almost every, you know, it's a bit of a lagging indicator, right? You know, for me, I want to know what the leading indicator is. So for me, it is the number of revenue generating appointments
1: booked. What you said earlier. So right? I want
0: to know, yeah, I, I want to know what our goal is. And for us, it's 243 appointments per month aggregated across all three of our offices. And we want to hit that 243 or go over. And when we know that we're seeing those, that amount of revenue driving opportunities, We know based on our average help rate, we know based on our average selling price, which is something we also monitor very well, what is the average cost of the treatment package that the patient elects or accepts, you know, that we know we're going to hit our revenue goals, right? Because most of our costs are fixed. And of course, the ones that aren't fixed, the things like performance incentives in our payroll. Well, that's going to rise or fall with our revenue output. Our cost of goods is going to rise or fall with the amount of instrumentation we actually need to put on our patients' ears. But since everything else is fixed, we know where our break even point is. We're looking at year over year comparisons all the time. And, you know, it's my goal to hit our annual break even based on our budget sometime early in the third quarter so that everything after
1: that is profitability. The more you talk, the more questions I write down. And at some point I have to just scrap them and end this because we have to end it at some point. But I've got questions on how you gather feedback and how you store it, what software you use, and we'll have to maybe get into this again. But there are three more questions that I would like to ask. One of them is, you mentioned earlier about other ways to incentivize people besides money. Do you have any examples of some of the creative ways that you keep people incentivized?
0: Well, one of the things that we've learned, you know, through trying to understand, you know, generational psychology is that younger generations, specifically millennials would actually like more personal time in most cases than they would a performance incentive in a bonus. Right. And, and, and that's, that's a gross generalization. You know, a lot of times it comes down to, you know, do they have a family? Do they have, you know, a pension for traveling? You know, do they like the beach? You know, whatever it might be, you know, if they want more time, we can give them opportunities to, to earn more time off. We certainly have, have ways of increasing or at least trying to maintain what we believe is an optimal work culture here. And, you know, that's something where we're constantly talking about what they can do to feel better about how they're improving their job and, and, and their performance. I think people want to know that they're doing well. People want to feel capable. I think there are a lot of people who want to feel challenged in their roles, but they want to know that those challenges are going to be met by the skills and the resources that they have at their disposal. You know, you know, Put people into positions where they're just floundering. They're not going to like it and they're going to go find work somewhere else. Doesn't matter how much you, uh, you pay them. We keep our offices, you know, looking as beautiful as we can and there are costs associated there. One, we want our patients to know when they walk through the door, we're serious about helping people. And it's something that, you know, we, we don't take lightly. You know, we don't have stacks of paper, you know, hanging out everywhere. We take their privacy and HIPAA, you know, seriously. We are not only healthcare professionals, but we are technology experts. I mean, these are highly sophisticated in many cases, most cases these days, dual processing, you know, computing medical devices that need to optimally meet their specific needs. So, we need when the patient walks through the door for them to understand that we're healthcare experts. So, that the healthcare field, what we feel to what we do here and how it looks and what we deliver for them. But there's also a technological aspect. So, we want our, our employees to show up every day and go, man, this place is beautiful. It's clean. It's, you know, it feels cutting edge. You know, it's, it's, it's not a dump where I'm going to, you know, do whatever, right? Uh, we do a lot of off-campus stuff. You know, we do. We've got a couple different annual calendar events where we take people out of the office. You know, we keep them engaged in each other's lives as, as, as much as they'd like to. You know, we can't mandate anything, but we try to get them interacting in more humanistic ways than than just the work. We give people the ability to work remotely. You know, at times we've actually just developed some of our first complete work-from-home roles for our organization, which is certainly attracted to certain employee types. I must be missing something here. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the opportunity to develop themselves, to be rewarded both financially and verbally and in front of their peers is something that that goes a long way. And then we just lead with our hearts and our mission. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to make any bones about us being a profitable company and wanting to maintain our profitability, but it's all rooted in the fact that we want to help more people hear better, and and that's you know when you're a mission driven company, you attract mission driven employees. At least you hope so.
1: I think that's really helpful. I know there's a lot of talk about maintaining labor right now, right? Getting labor, keeping labor, and and I feel like the conversation always just bottoms at more money. Throw more money at it, but that's really not doing much. And I think you hit at it because a lot of the people that are coming in now, the younger generation, to take a cliche term, aren't. Necessarily, look for more. They're looking for a better life, a different kind of life, and so optimizing incentives around that—not that you pay them crap and give them a you know great life, but that you know you don't you don't just keep raising the bar on the money thing and then go unprofitable. You give them a fair wage, but then you make it so that they can live an actual life outside of work, and work supports that life, and maybe is even integrated in a fun, connective, and developing way—not a stress-inducing, extra questions after hours way.
0: And there's more we can do. And there's more I'd like to do. I mean, we've got a lot of young professionals with young children, you know, and I'd love to come up with a strategy to offset, you know, childcare costs. I'd love to take a look at our folks who are servicing more than one of our locations, because we do have a cohort of our team, about 40% of our team that travels between the offices. And I'd like to think about, you know, are there ways that we can, you know, offset some of their travel costs? We've got, again, young professionals that are interested in furthering their education, you know, can we come up with strategies that can help them to pursue additional certifications or um, education, even if it's not related to our field, you know, sometimes that's something you see at a lot of organizations, like, as long as that new certification is going to help you to do your job here better, then we'll pay for it. But anything else that interests you, you got to foot the bill for it, right? Well, screw that, you know, what if somebody wants, you know, to, to have a, you you know, an experience or a life related to the arts, or, you know, they want to go out and learn how to, you know, code software, but they're in a a, a caregiving role. It's like, you know, help that person to become a better version of themselves and they will repay you with loyalty and performance.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks for going over that. I think that's really helpful. Um, it's a question I'm always asking people, you know, what are you doing with your people? Uh, so thanks for sharing that. And I hate to cut uh, around so much, but I, one thing I wanted to get in, if you don't mind sharing, kind of your cadence and specifically meetings and reports. What are the reports that you like to go out on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis? And what are the kind of the meetings that you think are key to keeping the trains running?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it starts with a daily team meeting. We we call it our huddle. And we make sure that we're going over key metrics. What are the openings in the schedule? Like I said, today... You know, three day outlook, five day outlook. What are we doing to fill it? Do you have needs? Do you have questions? What can I do as a leader? Can I have someone assist you in filling your particular schedule at your location? Can I move resources around throughout the organization to fill that location? Where are we at for companion rate? Where are we at for overall revenue? How many people have we helped so far this month, right? Where are we at running compared to this month last year, right? there's a seasonality to our business. So measuring month over month doesn't always give us great data or great feedback as to where we're at. Where, and, and even more than metrics, what is the mindset of my team, right? Who's dialed in? Who's checked out? <laughs> you know, what's going on with everybody, you know, and then you can have some follow up questions individually after the fact, you know, so you can get the most out of your people or, you know, if someone just doesn't have it today. It's like, you know, it's give them a break, you know, like maybe you give them the morning off the the day off, or maybe at least you take some responsibilities off of their desk, you know, so that they can, you know, handle that stuff. I mean, you need to always be thinking about wellness, mental health, you know, nobody likes to work for a slave driver. Right, you know, and and I think there is a difference between passion and stress. Right, I mean, passion is like working your ass off for something you believe in. Stress is working your ass off for something you don't. Right, so we want to create passion, you know, and a, and a lot of times, taking your foot off the gas is going to help more than bearing down. Sometimes bearing down with the right individuals, what you need to do, right? And I think you need to learn and understand who each one of your team is, you know, so that you can do that. But doing a check in, a psychological check in with with your team is really important too. You know, and then with that daily cadence, you're going to understand. You know, who are the head nodders, who are saying, "I got it, I got it, I got it." And then each day, you're just like, "Oh wow, we're still falling behind on this specific metric here." Like,
1: I think every every operator is shaking their head right now. Like, oh, I know, I got the name in my head who that is.
0: (laughs) And you know, and it's tough when it's like a middle manager too, because you're like, you know, that person, you know, has just enough authority and plenty of responsibility to really slow down your whole process. So, you know, being able to take a look at that. So so the daily thing, and, and you're talking about, you know, those metrics. On a weekly basis, I'm talking with my providers. We have a call, which is all about, tell me about the tough patients you had this week. Tell me about how you addressed it. Tell me what I can do to help, and we'll talk it through. Tell me about the wins you had this week, right? Let's celebrate together. Tell me about the ones that you turned around. Tell me about that one we talked about last week, and how you applied what we talked about, and whether it was a, a, an, a you know a positive outcome or not. With my administrative team, it's all about you know how does the week ahead look, how did the week behind look? You know what were some of the things that were significant challenges we overcame? What were the challenges that you know we threw resources or strategy out and we didn't move the needle at all? What can we do to move things along? So I'm looking at similar KPI on a weekly basis that I am on a daily basis but I'm aggregating. And, and taking up the big picture. Marketing activities, community activation, patient engagement, making sure the soft skills and the treatment metrics are there. On a bu- monthly basis, it's the PL. I mean, that's my scorecard. And you know, I'm, you know, certainly in our QuickBooks every other day, if not you know, at least a significant chunk of time once a week. But at the end of the month is when I'm looking at, you know, everything. So I can catch some trends on a weekly basis, but I like to see where did we hit, you know, for what we're looking at. And, you know, the expense side of our business is relatively static. Uh, The revenue side of our business is the thing that's highly variable. And, you know, we need to understand where those revenues at. Can we continue to fuel our, our burn rate? with enough left over so that we can react to the marketplace effectively. And that's really important. That's where the p and comes in. Year-over-year comparison, you know, month that month, year-over-year. Referral sources, on a monthly basis, I'm taking a look at what's the diversity of our referral sources. I want to know that it is, in fact, diverse because you never want to become over-leveraged by one source, or maybe it's a small handful of sources of new patients, because if those sources dry up... You're, you're out of business, right? So you want to continue to diversify your referral sources. The same thing with, you know, your individuals and their contribution to revenue. You start to get, you know, over leveraged because you've got, you know, one provider that's contributing to 60% of your revenue. It's like, you either need to hire someone else just like that, right? Or, or start training the rest of your team to be able to perform because if that superstar walks away, retires, gets hit by the proverbial bus, opens up a shop down the road. All of a sudden, you know, not only has the competitive nature of your marketplace changed, but your ability to respond to it has become severely hampered. So I'm always looking at those matrices as well. Team performance matrix. Quarterly basis, I'm doing performance reviews with every single person in my staff. You know, we we might do one-on-ones on on a weekly basis, if not twice a month, just to check in. And usually that's kind of as needed. I've got a couple folks who are in specific roles where I've got standing one-on-ones with them, but there are other folks where it's, you know, it might be twice a week, it might be twice a month based on their needs, their capabilities. We don't want people to get lost. On a monthly basis, I'm pulling out the KPIs that the team is responsible for. I'm taking a look at what they contributed specifically, where the gaps are, and you know, how they thought about things went, what can we do to improve our processes? What can I do to improve as a leader? What can we do to help get the most out of them? And just overall, how are things going? You know, it's it's important to make sure that you're delivering real-time feedback. I think Jack Welsh, maybe to, to, to quote an old name in, in management theorem, feedback is a breakfast of champions, right? It's like, you want your team to be looking for both positive feedback, but also, you know, where the areas, because they know the areas where they're struggling, right? They know where they're not meeting the requirements, when we talk about what our requirements are, as much as we talk about what our requirements are for performance, they know where they're not meeting it. So it's not just enough to say like, oh, you came up shy on you know, the amount of people you helped or the amount of you know, uh, appointments you booked this month. Let's do better next time. It's, well, what do you think's holding us back? What can we do to make it better? You know, A lot of times it's, I can't seem to come up with enough concentrated time. To, to meet that specific need because I feel randomized by these other, you know, things that I need to do. Okay. So now I know what I need to do as a leader is I need to either cut down on the amount of randomization or I need to help to free up time. Or if I've reached max capacity, then I need to hire somebody. Right. And, and that's kind of where we're at, too, because we don't want to over or under treat a patient. I don't want to be over or understaffed. Right. So it's like we're running at capacity as much as possible before we add that additional person. One, it's really tough to find people. Two, it's really hard to train and retain people. And three, they're expensive. Right. So we want to make sure that we can be as lean as possible for as long as possible. So we're monitoring things like burnout. Right. We're monitoring things like, you know, and and it's tough to really quantify, but you can qualify. You know, are you hearing some cynicism within the team? Are you hearing like some snipey comments? You know,
1: disengagement is a huge lead on to burnout.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so so we look at four different types of employees, right? So you've got your completely disengaged employee and they're out there and these people are, you know, actively undermining what you're doing. Their absenteeism is, you know, through the roof. They just care about, you know, when their PTO annualizes and renews, right. And, and just, they're not there. So we're looking for those folks. It's very difficult to turn those types of people around. You've got your, your only slightly disengaged people, which, you know, are really, really tough to sometimes identify. And much easier to turn around. And you just gotta find the triggers. It's like, why are they drifting? What can we do to bring them back in? Right. You know, and and I, and usually it's we've been so focused on the business side of things and not focused enough on the human component, right? And as soon as we bring it back to the human component, we can bring them back in. Sometimes it's a compensation conversation, sometimes it's you know, stagnation in position. sometimes it's you know, that I just haven't been as hands-on as I need to be, and I haven't had those. You know, I, I've been having a, 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 an uncomfortable conversation every day. I just haven't had an uncomfortable conversation with that person in a while, you know? So so that's what you need to do. Then you've got your engaged employees and they're great, right? And the fourth kind, and these can be really troubling, but sometimes people don't want to deal with them, but these are your disruptive high performers. You know, this is the person where the rules don't apply to them. I'm not going to work the process because I get results anyway. I do my way, right? You can't argue with success, Right they're not team first, they're me first, right? Those are tough employees to remove from your team. And sometimes you need to, sometimes there's addition by subtraction. So that's something you can deal with on a quarterly basis. On an annual basis, you know, we're taking a look at, did we meet our goals this year? If so, you know, why not? It's coming up with our BHAG goals for the next year. You know, it's like what completely, you know, crazy scary thing are we going to do this year are we going to open up a new division of treatments are we going to open up a new location? are we going to acquire a competitor are we going to take the team to you know Punta Cana I don't know like what is it that we're going to do this year that's gonna scare me to put my name on it and then make me have to work to meet that goal and that's on an annual basis definitely develop, developmental check-ins we want to have an active, Developmental pipeline, including internal promotions. So, you know, we had better be developing people well enough throughout the year that come the end of the year, we've got a couple of people who've either been promoted, are ready to be promoted, or are complaining to me because, you know, they want to be promoted. Those things need to be taking place on an annual basis and you need to be thinking about it because if you're not willing to promote or incentivize your top performers, I guarantee you, someone else out there is hurting, starving not just for people, but for high performers, and they will gladly poach your people. So make sure you're focused on on keeping your team thriving.
1: I feel like this we should be selling this as a consulting session on how to run, monitor, and help your people in your business because you're just laying down so much stuff. I'm probably listening to this again and again. Uh, You just covered so much in those 15 minutes of going over your meetings and all the things you focus on and talk about and how you watch for it that I feel like that should be a whole other conversation. Thanks for laying that <laughs> down that uh, I wrote a bunch down there. Last question. You buy an office, another audiology office. What are the things you're looking at that you're going to change? What are you going to add? What are the things that you know that you do that most people aren't doing? And that's how you're going to get your value add and multi- multiple expansion or whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah. Well, so here's here's the the ugly truth sometimes embarrassing truth and embarrassment of riches about our industry. This industry runs uh, extremely profitable, low volume. You know, so high margin, low volume is, is what our business is. So for the most part, many businesses are slower than they could be because they're lazy. They're sort of drunk on a high profit margin. You know, Our gross margin, well, I won't name ours, but for the industry... The average healthy growth gross margin is somewhere around fifty-five to sixty percent, and that certainly can make people lazy. So, in acquiring a new practice, we're taking a look at what they're doing. How hungry are they? We're taking a look at their staff. I mean, to be honest with you, the main reason for me to acquire a practice rather than a greenfield startup in that in that community would be to acquire the talent so i want people who are aware of familiar with and excited to help people hear better just doing a straight asset purchase of you know a sound booth some diagnostic equipment and a database you know and maybe a name that's been doing business in that community for you know 20 years like probably not worth the the valuation in fact the valuation is not going to be anywhere near what that seller wants <laughs> you know, but what I'm looking for is I want to acquire the talent and then I want to make sure that they are growth minded. They've got a growth mindset. They're willing to accept feedback to take on the challenge of getting better at what they do so that they can help more people. You know, I'm also, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm peeking at the size of the database. How many people are in that database? How many people are, you know, three to seven years from purchasing their last set of hearing aids? Those are going to be my prime candidates for over seven years probably already purchased somewhere else. In fact, you know, quite a few of those folks in the five-year range are probably going to have already bought somewhere else. What's their patient communication strategy? You know, are they using electronics, medical records, software, is everything in manila folders on a a back wall? You know, so I'm really looking to acquire the database and the talent. Equipment, I can have that, you know, financed, you know, the old laptops or desktops. I mean, those things are worthless. I'm probably better buying new equipment anyway. So it really comes down to, you know, if they've got a kick-ass location, yeah, you know, I'm probably going to be into that, but, you know, there's a chance that I might be moving that location anyway. So it's really interesting. Even if they weren't profitable, I can turn that around quickly. You know, even if there isn't a tremendous amount of cash flow, I can turn that around quickly if they are profitable, and there is good cash flow, even better, but you and I both know you're going to pay a little bit more for that business than you would for someone who's upside down. So yeah, you know, we're, we're looking for the diamond in the rough. You know, we're looking at, you know, someone who's been engaged with the community has a great referral network of physicians, and just an untapped resource, you know, someone who just, you know, for the 10 to 15 years before they started retiring, they just got slower and slower. And, you know, we can just come in and, and step on the gas, apply our methodology and our system to what's already there and, you know, ramp that baby up.
1: Wow. Man, you just dumped a lot on us. Cliff, first of all, <laughs> awesome talking to you. Always like talking to you. Second of all, for those that know me on Twitter, I'm known as a good operator, but I will say that much of what I know comes from hanging around better operators. I would say Cliff is one of those better operators that I have been talking to for years, getting to know, learn things from him, hashing out ideas, having him talk to me about people, about strategy, about marketing. And There's there's many others like Cliff. So for those of you that know me, Cliff is one of the people that has been behind me for, like I said, about five years now and helping me. So I want to make sure that that's known. And that's
0: a two-way street. That is a 100% two-way street. So thank you for the compliment,
1: but I, I owe you more than you owe me. That's nah, for sure. nah. Also, thank you for taking the time to download all this. I mean, you kind of just gave away a lot of your secrets, but my hope is that as other operators and other businesses like property management and home services, they can find parallels, they can get ideas, they can run their businesses better, make them more profitable, and, and like you, help their customers better and help you know better life. Everything from you know, better toilet installs and less overflows, which nobody likes, all the way up to better medical outcomes for patients that they can have better lives. So, Cliff, once again, a massive thank you for taking the time, for going through all of that, for explaining it. Uh, like I said, the last 20 minutes there where you went through all of the meetings, I think like there was a whole other pod there. Maybe we'll do that. we we'll get a chance to do that in a few weeks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You let me know. And, and, you know, I don't feel like I'm giving away any secrets here. There's no intellectual property uh, (laughs) that that has been discussed here. I mean, this is, this is hard work. This is looking at what's important and trying not to get caught up in what's not important. And then just having
1: the guts to execute. I say it all the time. All the secrets are consistent execution of the fundamentals. None of it's it's complex. Fundies,
0: baby. Fundies.
1: So Cliff, if people want to get a hold of you or reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: You can certainly find me on LinkedIn. You can certainly find me on some of the more fun social media platforms as well. We run a business out of Central New York, uh, Cortland Audiology PC. So you can find me at cortlandhearingaids.com. And you can also get me at cliff at cliffpcary.com if you want to email me directly. You know, I've been uh, consulting and coaching uh, for, uh, gosh, about 15 years now. Um, there isn't a, a type of business that I don't think that uh, I, can, I can help to improve anything from a lemonade stand to uh, I don't know I don't want to say an ice cream shop, but something a little more sophisticated. <laughs> than so uh, I can know, vouch for that. By all means, drop, drop a line. Yeah, Cliff,
1: thank you. It was awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother.